Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always and thank you for joining me. It is the 13th of November. Today it's actually a Wednesday. I'm doing this a little bit early this week. Um, Thursday wasn't possible to record as always. So yeah, I thought let's get this over and done with today. Get it out there and um, hope you guys enjoy it. So thanks for tuning in as always. Um, that's usually what I say at the end, but it's at the start this time. Anyway, let's just get on with it. <laughs> um, hope everyone has had a good week so far. Some exciting things planned for the weekend, such as the Brazilian Grand Prix. I'm sure that's going to be exciting, as it always is, even though we haven't had a championship go there for a, for a couple of years now. It's been decided well beforehand. In this year's instance, it was the last race out in Austin, so Lewis Hamilton already the champion there. And this is why we're, you know, in the court of the champions this week, I guess, because, you know, Lewis Hamilton's a champion. We're going to Brazil where they've got three former world champions who um, are Brazilian, Ed and Senna, of course, being one of them, Emerson Fittipaldi and Nelson Piquet. Um, and then, yeah, supercars, all about champion and championships as well because Enduro Cup wrapped up over the weekend a couple of champions won that and of course the championship itself too with Scott McLaughlin taking that one out but I'll talk about Sandown a bit later separately as well because there was plenty that happened over the weekend from the Sandown 500 so I want to give it its own time and talk about it in length a bit later but let's do Brazil first and um good movie if you haven't already seen it uh, Terry Gilliam did that one Brazil check it out completely unrelated to what we're talking about now the Formula One and also um, motorsport but yeah good movie is Brazil so penultimate race of 2019 really it's only the minor placings that are at stake now and you know some people will probably turn around and say god you're an idiot or you're you're nuts for getting up at four o'clock in the morning just to watch a race with nothing at stake here well a race is a race you have the win at stake and a win means the world or you know it's what everyone strives for when you go racing so there you're vying for the win for the win in brazil and winning at sao paulo the interlagos circuit's quite special as well given the history of that place it's been in formula one for ages it's going to be there for at least another year you'd reckon um before plans of going elsewhere rio they've talked about and everything and uh or possibly even well argentina doesn't seem possible anymore thanks to the election or the election results from a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week? I'm not too sure. I don't keep up to date with international politics as much as I should. <laughs> Maybe that's what i got to spend my time doing some reading over the uh, next few days. But, yeah, nothing really at stake now except for those minor placings. But then again, you know, the win is going to be an important one because... You know, we've got three teams that can fight for the win, you'd think. You know, Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull. Now, thing with Ferrari was that um, it's going to be a big weekend because what happened in Austin is that they had a dip, you know, in their form. And a lot of people have come out and um, weighed in on this, and including Max Verstappen as well, who was quite vocal, as is his team, who initiated what the FIA then came out with a technical directive in regards to this um, illegal fuel flow um, measurements that Ferrari have been uh, sort of 
supplying or you know the fuel flow meter reads reads the fuel flow in the car when it's when it's normal but outside of that you know it's they're getting some kind of advantage from it you know it's burning more fuel than it should it's exceeding that limit apparently that they have in the regulations and as a result that's how they're getting that power boost so that's why they FIA you know as a clarification you know they don't come out and this isn't about pointing fingers or anything they they can never point fingers unless they have concrete evidence but they all they can do is come out with a technical directive they send that to all the teams um, at the start of the weekend and as a result of every team's got to be compliant you know and you know they're on their toes and everything so in in a way it's you know pointing a finger but without pointing a finger you know it gets whoever to stop doing what it is they're doing um and from there you know it was kind of well i'm not going to say obvious but it it was coincidental that ferrari as a result have a bad weekend but then you know ferrari's own reasonings for having the bad weekend well seb you know just off the pace um struggled with setup apparently and then charles leclerc as we see this weekend in brazil is going to be taking a uh, engine penalty because he's getting a new completely new ice in the car internal combustion engine the reason he for his pace deficits and struggles in austin was the fact that he was running a very very old engine and the mileage on that was very high and they had to run it underpowered so that's their explanation or you know the official ferrari explanation for why they didn't do so well in austin others you know including verstappen who even came out and said that the, you know that's what happens when you cheat um and heaps of that going on at the moment you know when we look at supercars as well the use of the word cheat um so this is why this weekend in Brazil it's going to be important to see where Ferrari are at because if it was a one-off in Austin and look at Leclerc, he's getting a new engine, potentially even a new power unit, you know, so he's facing a minimum 10-place grid penalty and that's if you just um, exceed your limit on ICEs for the season. Of course, they get three of each component per season, um, so three power units in total. But if they decide to change the whole power unit, that's straight to the back of the grid. So, you know, do they take the risk and do a whole new power unit? I mean, two races from the end or, you know, what it, what do they do? Um, and then see what the performance is from that because Brazil is really good with overtaking. Um, sometimes weather's going to be good, so that should be interesting. And when I say sometimes, I mean, not like Max Verstappen when he botched it last year trying to pass Esteban Ocon, a lapped Esteban Ocon too, which eventually cost Verstappen the win. They did do a little bit of a punch on though. Uh, no, not really a punch on. It was more so just a push and shove in the, the way room in Park Ferme. So that was the outcome of that one. So we should hopefully see Leclerc come through the field um, regardless of however many places he takes with the penalty and Seb Vettel as well he's a three-time winner here he won in 2017 last um, in the sunny conditions too so you know he's got the experience to win here with Ferrari Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes has only won here twice when you consider the affinity that he has with Brazil with Ayrton Senna as well so and obviously the last win he had was um, last year so after Verstappen 
had that little moment with Ocon and cost him the race. And Red Bull have been strong in here in the past too. You know, when you look at the wins that, um, sorry, the wins that uh, Seb has had, two of them with Red Bull in the past. Mark Webber, I think, won here as well. 2011, I believe. Yeah, that was um, Webber won that one. And then, of course, the incredible race that we had here in 2016 where Verstappen from 15th on the grid came back and finished on the podium in that wet race so you know they've they've been strong here have Red Bull so wouldn't rule out Max if uh, he's in good touch speaking of Red Bull we had the confirmation as well last night that Alexander Albon will keep his seat at the senior team for 2020 so congratulations to him thoroughly deserved you know it's been incredible since he's come to the Red Bull team um, from the Belgian Grand Prix, he scored, I think, double the points that Pierre Gasly had scored for, for Red Bull in the first half of the season, so, and this is only um, in seven races out of out of the nine that he's ha- been given in this back half of the season, so it just shows you how consistent Albon has been, and then last time out in Austin, I said it was arguably his best race in a Red Bull, we say this every week, actually, that Every after every race, we're like, oh, this is arguably Albon's best race um, for Red Bull. And Austin was no main feat. You know, he was sent to the back of the grid after um, after his crash with uh, Science at the start. Well, not penalised, but he, he had to go back to, to the back of the grid, you know, and race his way back up and still finished fifth, you know. That's pretty, pretty good uh, to do that, so Albon at Red Bull for 2020, I think it's a perfect fit, he seems a lot more mature than Gasly, calm head on, um, young shoulders, and also just his general demeanour doesn't seem very, it's not like much phases him, you know, he's he's only 23, and he already seems like he's re- very mature and doesn't seem to be phased by Formula One and all the hype and glamour around it, so that's really good to see from a young driver, and especially next to Max as well, where you know Max is very much that once in a generation talent who, you know, prodigious and he's expected to win like a million world championships and two million races in his time. So you know, next to Max, I think that's going to be the perfect fit, and we'll see how Albon goes for for twenty twenty. But even for now, I reckon you know, two races to go, I've been, you know, itching to to say that. Oh, you know, I wish that there could be a podium for Albon in this in the last two races. So you know, still got two races to to see if that'll come to fruition. So yeah, let's wait and see. And even Torosso have gone to. Um, confirm their lineup for next year too or Alpha Tori I should call them that's what they're going to be known as next year's Toro Rosso you know it's already been mentioned about a hundred thousand times that what's the confusion going to be like for the commentators when you're talking about Alpha Tori and Alpha Romeo Alpha this Alpha that <laughs> two different teams with Alpha in it you know and just as far like written you can tell the difference because Alpha Tori is Alpha as in the um, the Alpha whatever, you know, A-L-P-H-A, the Greek letter or whatever it is. Um, and then Alpha Romeo is Alpha Romeo, A-L-F-A. So it's pretty easy to distinguish when you read it off, off something. But if you're listening to commentary, it's pretty much the same, Alpha Alpha. So yeah, Toro, so sorry not to get carried away. Alpha Tori, Torosso confirmed. 
their unchanged lineup as well for 2020. So Pierre Gasly and Danny Kvyat are going to stay put there. No qualms. I've got no qualms about that either. So, you know, as I said before, in regards to Albon, Albon definitely more mature than Gasly at this stage, even though Albon's only raced, you know, half a season or almost a full season now. And Gasly's got a whole year up on him. Um, I think Gasly just needs a bit more work before he'd be ready for for that big drive and Kvyat, you know, given another opportunity too. So that'll be good for him and his confidence. So we'll see how he goes. And Kvyat as well, I guess, last couple of races, he's gone back to his old ways. You could say, just hope that it's not really a permanent thing because, you know, he's done such good work this season. You know, even though his points tally has kind of been, you know, uh, bolstered by that podium that he had um, in Germany, I wouldn't say, yeah, you know, he's had a more, cons- he hasn't been as consistent as he would have liked to have been, so we'll just see next year if he can iron out those um, crazy, <laughs> those crazy torpedo moves that he's been doing, and this time not on the first lap, it's the last lap that he's, he's being the torpedo, so We'll see what happens in Brazil, and um, he should hopefully stay out of trouble on this instant. In this instance, um, going back to the the leaders, though. So yeah, Lewis two wins here. Bottas has been in great form, so don't go past him either for for the win. You know, and I'm sure Lewis Hamilton he'll be on his guard too, given that last year after uh, last year after the championship was wrapped up, he actually came out and won the last three races of the season apart from um yeah no last two races of the year which typically he doesn't do he sort of switches off people say so you know we'll see how uh he goes see what kind of form he's in whether he's celebrated too hard i mean i wouldn't blame him six world championships you'd want to celebrate as if the weight of the world was off your shoulders or something like that but you know just goes to show you how great a, a champion he is that you know he can be ready to to come back and smash it the next few races and really sign off on the year on a very high note but I still think yeah the biggest thing will be Ferrari and seeing where their form is at um, after what happened in Austin midfield and the rest of the field Renault they've been great the last couple of races I guess too late as far as the points are concerned versus McLaren but their last couple of races they one stopped and they finished ahead of McLaren so could they do that again can McLaren score the points they need to seal out fourth in the constructors championship that's certainly possible this weekend so if they do that then that'll be pretty significant for them the first season since 2014 that they've scored in triple figures as far as their total points tally is concerned and you know even though they haven't been on the podium this year you know they've just been consistent you know scoring double points at most races you know the races that they didn't you know missed opportunities you could say Lando Norris especially on his side of the garage there's been a lot of bad luck there so they could easily have scored more you know more 150 plus points by this point in the season so they're looking very good hopefully for next year you know next year is going to be another test for them they've talked about potentially revolutionizing their car next year or going down a completely different aero concept last time we heard that with mclaren we got 2013 which pretty much was the start of their decline so you'd hope with this new management structure and new technical department that it 
doesn't happen. There is no repeat of 2013 or the last four years, and as a matter of fact, or five years, if you want to go back that far. So we'll see how they go. Their happy birthday also to Lando Norris today, who turns 20, so no longer a teenager when he gets to uh, Sao Paulo for the Grand Prix. So, yeah, Lando, he's been he's been a fine this year. He's been really good for F1, really enjoyed him, watching him, and even just driving, you know, he's been really, really cool. I think back to Bahrain, where he's gone toe-to-toe with Kimi Raikkonen, only in his second race in F1, and here's Kimi Raikkonen, who's been around for, you know, 20 years, uh, not quite 20 years, but you know what I mean, he's been around for quite some time, and um, he didn't really take any of it, did Lando? Haas last year scored double points at this race, though they're a shadow of their former selves, not going to go too much on about them anyway, because, yeah, it's just, you know, Roman Grosjean's already come out and said that, you know, he's looking forward to the season just finishing, so, you know, who knows if by some miracle they can score some points, they would have probably have needed the weather to be bad this weekend for them to do so, but no, it's going to be, it's going to be good, so we're in for a sunny Brazilian Grand Prix, regardless of you know, where Haas's form is, it doesn't seem likely that's going to happen. Same thing with Williams, you don't expect anything, any miracles for them either, unfortunately, just kind of biding their time until the year ends, which is a shame for Robert Kubitzer especially. And yeah, that's about it, Alfa Romeo, same story, you know, can they come back and score some points at the end of the year? You know, it's been a rotten run for them, and Kimi Raikkonen, unfortunately, you know, he's just... He's just been very anonymous. You don't really hear much about him during the races. And at the end of the race, you just hear that, yeah, he was right at the back. So it's not going too great for him either. But that's just the, um, that is just the form of Alfa Romeo at the moment. Alpha, Alpha. <laughs> that's going to be funny and just a whole, whole, you know, mind game for everyone next year, I'm sure. So, and quickly before we get away from F1, you know, there's more F1 to come anyway in a sec, but um, the interesting thing I read yesterday or brought to my attention was that um, this Bathurst Invitational event planned for next year, for next December, which will be like this um, event that, you know, people can come, you know, international racing drivers can come race at Bathurst they're going to do it in the Super 5000 cars that you know S5000 cars that uh, I got to see at Sandown a couple of months ago where Rubens Barrichello came and raced there they had Matthew Brabham and some of the V8 supercar drivers as well James Golding and Anton Di Pasquale and the like um but they're targeting former Formula One champions Jensen Button, Nico Rosberg, Fernando Alonso, some of the names that have been tossed up. Yes, please, yes. If this happens, this would be so cool. This would be Christmas for me because it's in December next year. You know, I would totally go to Bathurst to see these guys, you know, Button, Alonso, Barrichello, Rosberg, whatever, getting these awesome open wheel cars. You know, they just, they look great. They sound like they're V8 supercars, even though they're in open-wheel cars, and Bathurst, you know, open-wheel cars at Bathurst, that would be absolutely amazing, so, yeah, you know, if this happens, let it happen, I would love for it to happen, and um, I'll keep everyone posted to, you know, if any there's any developments and that sort of thing, 
Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> that time of the day for a bit of a yawn. But um, yeah, no, this sounds really exciting. I know it's still, you know, about 12 months away, more than 12 months away, but surely, you know, the feelers are going to be out there to get these guys to come and hopefully race at uh, Mount Panorama. That would just be absolutely amazing. Moving it on then and staying on the F1 theme, um, interesting news coming out this week. Well, interesting for some and I'm really interested and intrigued by this and it's that F1 plans to go carbon neutral by 2030, um, aiming to be the championship itself, aiming to be net zero carbon meaning it will have no carbon footprint whatsoever, not just with its racing on track, but the entire product. So looking at all your events as well, um, traveling to the events, logistics, you know, the teams at their bases as well, you know, in their offices and stuff like that, making sure that they have renewable energy and everything. Um, Described as an ambitious but achievable, you know, they've got an ambitious but achievable delivery plan that's what was said in the press release um so positive to hear f1 do this actually and you know as you might have heard this year i've been talking quite a bit more positively about motorsport in the sense that formula one has really taken the initiative to you know with the hybrid power units and everything and where they are at with thermal efficiency and everything now i mean a lot of people out there i'm sure and i've heard this in my travels, um, who don't really have vested interest in racing or motorsport or Formula One, often are led to that conclusion that either it's, you know, you're driving around in circles or, you know, oh, it's bad for the environment, you know, that sort of thing. And for the first time ever, I can say that no, Formula One is actually not bad for the environment because, I mean, when you look at the statistics, the cars and the racing itself at the moment, like, you know, for a Grand Prix, only counts for 0.7% of F1's total carbon footprint, you know, it's everything else that it does, you know, the logistics, running the events, you know, um, and all that sort of thing, you know, the sustainability around running events and using renewable resources and all that is what accounts for Formula One's carbon footprint at the moment, you know, and the cars themselves, they're just incredibly efficient, and they've said in that in that press release that they're targeting to, you know, have the world's first zero-carbon ICE, um, in, internal combustion engine. It will be hybrid, of course, but having a zero-carbon-emitting ICE, you know, combustion has always been regarded as this negative thing about, oh, you know, combustible energy is, there's a lot that's wasted as a result, how can you do it with renewable energy or whatever, so this is going to be interesting to see, I mean, 2030, I mean, the last decade's gone pretty quickly, none of us have noticed, how quickly will this next, next decade go, and to see F1 make these steps towards being net zero carbon, um, by 2025, they're aiming for all events to be sustainable. So that means, um, you know, the way that they're set up, the way that, um, you know, simple things like single-use plastic items, you know, with food and all that, um, trying to 
remove that or make them a re- renewable encourage a, you know have recycling as mandatory with all the products and everything you know make sure the plastics you know recyclable plastics and all that sort of thing so it's very exciting because you know with where I work you know my day job as well involves a lot of recycling and you know looking at ways to be more sustainable you know through secondhand goods and all that so you're constantly I'm constantly thinking about this sort of stuff a lot more and when your favorite sport I guess is taking steps now to make sure we go in that positive direction then yeah you've got to really get behind it and you know I can proudly say that you know this is what Formula One is trying to do they're trying to be sustainable and you know go carbon zero carbon from 2030 not many other sports would say that and I know there's going to be naysayers and everything and like oh bring back the V10s with the noise and blah 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 it's unnecessary you know as long as the racing on track is great I mean it's not going to be completely quiet it's not like we're going all electric you know Formula E style but yeah I don't know what to say when people bring up those arguments because it's like we've got to advance this technology we've got to think about the future we've got to think about the planet you know we've got to think about everything you know that relates back to real life and unfortunately you hosting a formula one race in instances can be very damaging to the environment you know especially setting up you know street circuits temporary circuits and stuff like that but the end result if this is where they're trying to get to as far as being able to set up events sustainably to have reduced emissions at events you know not just with the racing on track but with you know the way that the fans engage with the event as well you know you know you look at take the Australian Grand Prix for example you know how many beer plastic beer cups are discarded not even thrown away properly or just how much rubbish you find around the place. I mean, it just makes you sad when, you know, people do that sort of thing, you know. I mean, the, everyone's entitled to have fun and enjoy themselves, but, you know, be responsible too because at the end of the day, we're all sharing, you know, this this world and what one person does can have an impact on how the other person gets to, to live in it too, you know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of arguments and debates going up at the moment online about you know the bushfires that are going on which you know I've, I've got very much you know thinking about at the moment and hoping all the people affected get the support that they need up there but you know arguing about it on social media about who's right and who's wrong is not going to help anyone over there at the moment but yeah you know people trying to think that they know everything when it comes to this sort of thing or blaming uh you know, blaming people who, who vote for one particular party that, you know, it's their fault that this has happened. Grow up, people, you know. We've got to... When, when I hear things, something like F1 try to go in this direction, it makes me feel a lot more positive that, you know, there are people in this world who want to do the right thing and also care about where we're living and, you know, the things around us and everything. So, yeah, I can only speak very highly of this, I wish I could go more, you know, I mean, I'm not going to give a sustainability <laughs> sustainability lecture here or something along those lines, I mean, I, I love I love talking about it, but yeah, I'm not going to go and give you a lecture about it at this stage, you know, we'll see when we get closer to 2025, 20, you know, who knows what we'll be doing <laughs> around then, but closer to 2025, 20, you know, discussing more about 
how the events are looking and everything and what they're planning on doing because I reckon it can totally be done and when they say ambitious but achievable delivery plan you've got to kind of buy into it and hope that uh, it's all going to happen so yeah I guess I'll discuss more about more of this at a later date or if anyone is keen to listen to me talk about that sort of stuff, um, feel free to drop a line on Twitter and just say, yeah, look, we want to hear you talk about sustainability and, you know, going, you know, carbon footprint and racing and all that, because, yeah, I really, it's something that I'd really get behind, you know, all categories to do, you know, even supercars, I'm just going to talk about in a sec with the Sandown 500, whether it pursues, you know, going hybrid in the future when it gets its um, Gen 3 regulations on board 2022, hopefully, you know, it's something that we all got to look at as far as, you know, how we can be more sustainable. You know, sustainability isn't all just about environmental, but financial as well. You know, financial sustainability can also lead to to environmental sustainability too, I'm sure. So a lot to ponder at the moment because gone are the days where you can write blank checks and, you know, do whatever you want, you know, you've got to be a bit more, you look at IndyCar as well, they're going down the hybrid route in the future as well, you know, the automotive industry is a big component of what happens in motorsport, you know, it's not just, we live in this magical world where, you know, we can do all this sort of motor racing stuff and, you know, expect it to not have an impact, you know, that's how motor racing has evolved, because, you know, it was, you know, race cars pioneering things, what you see on the road cars, you know, especially on F1 side of things, but then again, you know, when you look at touring cars, stock cars and all that, it's all, you know, oh yeah, I can buy that car from the showroom, so, you know, if you could buy a hybrid sedan car from the showroom, you want, you know, they can go race in one, and, you know, that as a result, you know, that's supposed to sell more models, blah, 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 so these things are all interlinked, and hopefully, yeah, what the direct, what direction that these guys go in in the future, supercars, whatever, whatever we're talking about, it's all in the same direction as far as, you know, promoting that sort of more environmentally friendly, sustainable approach, you know, and it's something I look forward to seeing how they execute. The racing is still going to be the same, you know, it's still going to be great regardless or whatever, you know, whatever era we're in, whatever noise there is, it's not going to be completely quiet, it's not going to be nothing like, you know, electric racing, for example, but I just wish there was a lot less negativity about this sort of thing and move on, you know, get with the times because Formula One is supposed to evolve, you know, it what do you call it, pioneers technology, you know, that's where we got paddle shift from, you know, if the, if you want to look at recently, and even the earliest hybrid systems, you know, KERS, kinetic energy, that, that came from F1, so why not have a zero emission internal combustion engine also come from F1, you know, so yeah, that sort of thing I was saying, you know, if you want to hear more of, just drop, drop a line and be happy to do a whole podcast about that but otherwise you know I'm not going to bother going into it too much because we still got supercars and sand down to talk about and that'll be it for this evening I reckon so let's get straight to it and yeah the final race of the Enduro Cup 
And the final race, enduro race, sorry, I should say, at Sandown as well. So a bit of an emotional one at that, but also just a huge weekend in general. So we had Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes win the race. Um, back-to-back wins for Wincup at Sandown. Lowndes winning his sixth, um, equaling Alan Moffat, who turned 80 years old on Sunday. Happy birthday to, to the old... Um, to Alan Moffat, um, absolute legend. Alan Moffat got an interesting story about him that I'm sure you know. You know, if you know me, you would have heard it. Um, and yeah, they won the Enduro Cup as well after the heartbreak to car number 97. So um, Shane Van Gisberg and Garth Tander having a bit of an issue at the end of the race, a um, tire failure, right rear failure, which crueled them because. Um, SVG actually got ahead of the um, of Jamie Wincup, you know, heading into the final pit stop. So, you know, absolute demon of a drive thanks to Garth Tander in the opening stint. He made up 22 places. Um, basically, they had to start from the back of the grid because they had a poor qualifying race. So, Sandown with their qualifying races. So, let's just go back to the top rather than branching out and getting into like 10 different places at once so McLaughlin won the championship but he was excluded from Bathurst qualifying there was a um, investigation that went into that when they took that engine out of the um, Shell V power car after Bathurst um, qualifying and they found out that they were running some kind of you know exceeding a valve limit or something like that and as a result they've been excluded and fined $30,000 so even though the race is still the win still stands at Bathurst and McLaughlin and Alex Premo are the Bathurst champions they technically didn't start from pole though the penalty they got $30,000 fine um, their penalty was that they had to start from the back of the grid at Sandown regardless of what happened so you know we'll get to that in a bit later but we had some wild quality races the first race on the Saturday wet conditions I know Melbourne we're supposed to be heading into summer but it's raining it's cold it's windy that's the kind of rain that they need up uh, up north you know where they've got the fires and everything at the moment anyway uh, Alex Premer involved with James Moffat in that race before Moffat um was compromised and ended up making contact with his teammate Thomas Randall. Moff was not happy about that whatsoever. Um, Premer sort of lost the ground from the start, you know, to Craig Lowndes again, like he did at Gold Coast. And then in the second race, you know, Scott basically had to, to do some work, but as a result of the penalty coming through on Sunday morning, they had to start from the back of the grid, the main race, that is the 500k race, but what happened in the uh, second, second, yep. What happened in the second qualifying race on Saturday is that we had Will Brown in the first race get the Erebus number ninety-nine car up to second. Started second, did Anton Di Pasquale, but he was escorted off at the first corner by Shane Van Gisbergen. As a result, Di Pasquale was given a penalty incorrectly. So Craig Baird, the driving standards observer got that one wrong, he came out after the race and admitted it. he was wrong, he said on social media too he was wrong because it was Van Gisbergen who was the one at fault in that situation, but Van Gisbergen basically got set to the back of the grid um, because of that incident at the first lap, like he fell, fell back and that's where he was, 
he had to start from the rear, or sorry, Garth Ted, his co-driver had to start from the rear, along with McLaughlin, so that's the qualifying race done, and Dustin, you had Jamie Wincup on pole from Andre Heimgartner, Engine Breach from Bathurst sees the number 17 disqualified and sent to the rear of the Sandown grid. So let's fast forward to Sunday now. Um, so you've got SVG and McLaughlin starting from the rear of the grid. They put, um, Red Bull put Garth Tander in the car. Awesome first in, past pretty much every car except for Win Cup. Uh, Lowndes, who was in the car, sorry, passed every car except for their teammate or sister car. Then SVG, when he got in the car for his stint at the end of the race, ended up doing that. But as I said, they had the uh, right rear failure, which put him out of the race essentially. And Jamie Wincup, Craig Lowndes were on their way to win. So, yeah, it wasn't, you know, just a win either. It was a huge win, finishing 20 seconds clear of the next car. And let's, you know, you can insert your parody questions in here because, you know, we, we said that we've been just debating it all year saying oh look you know Ford had the advantage blah 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 but then they've done all these parity changes and now look who's finishing 20 seconds clear of the field you know the the cars behind them were two Fords the um Tickford cars we had car 55 Chas Mostert James Moffat finished second and then Lee Holdsworth and Thomas Randall in behind them um but yeah you know the last three races have been Holden, you know, Triple Eight, Holden dominated, you know, uh, Gold Coast, both races, 1-2 finish for this team, uh, second race there, 1-2 finish for the team, and it would have been a 1-2 here as well at Sandown if it wasn't for that failure for Van Gisbergen, so, you know, what's what's got to give about that? You know, why didn't we see Car 17, you know, blitz up the field, you know, and pass everyone either, so, not saying that they're struggling, but it's just that suddenly the other team has got the advantage again, even though we were supposed to level the playing field. It doesn't seem very level to me. Anyway, I'm not going to have a rant about that at this time. Um, That can be done at the end of the year when we look back at the whole season. But yeah, congratulations though to Lee Holdsworth, Thomas Randall, first podiums of the year. Well, first for Randall and Supercars, but Holdsworth, first podium since 2014. Um, that win that he had with Erebus back at Winton 2014, it was, it was like, surely he's taken a podium since, but no, 2014, that's a long time in between, between drinks for Holdsworth, and, you know, it's no surprise that, I mean, I thought he was already locked in for next year at Tickford, but, um, heard that it was only a one-year deal he came to this team on, surely they're going to sign him up now after that, you know, he's been consistent driver all year, it's just a shame that he's missed out on a few podium opportunities up until now, but yeah, definitely done a great job. And for for Mostert and Moffat too. I mean, they've Mostert unfortunately he he admitted it in the press conference that you know because of his errors it's really cost this team and that combination better results in the Enduro Cup. You know when you look at Bathurst and his collision with teammate Cameron Waters, and then even in uh, at the Gold Coast, you know qualifying or the top ten shootout he. Uh, had that crash that wrote them off for the whole weekend and didn't get to race at all. So this is almost, you know, making up for that, he said. It might not make up for it completely, but, you know, to at least get a trophy at the end of the Enduro Cup is pretty crucial. And, you know, for Mostert as well, you know, could it be his last podium for the team unless he, he 
gets a podium in Newcastle, you know, given the news, well, it's not really news yet, official, but, you know, given that he could be on the move or he is on the move to Walkinshaw and Reading United next year, you know, where maybe they're just waiting for the end of the year to, to make that official. I mean, it's only got one race to go in Newcastle now, so, you know, we're getting close to it. Um, and more intriguingly has been the, you know, debate, discussion about who's going to be his teammate there next year. So we had the new Scott Pies on his way to Team 18 next year, setting up in that second car alongside Mark, Mark Winterbottom at the Charlie Schwerkholt team. So, you know, names like Will Brown, Bryce Fullwood, who've all impressed in this Enduro Cup, um, have been tossed up. You know, the Richie Stanaway thing has gone a bit quiet now. So, you know, I could totally see a Will Brown who, you know, at this stage would be my pick to put next to Mostert at uh, Walkinshaw and Dreddy United. I'd pick him, you know, given that it's probably not going to be the best for him to, to have another season in Super 2. It's been a difficult year, actually, for Brown. Not much success. Forward wrapped up the championship, actually, for Super 2 over the weekend at Sandown. So he's had a had a mega year. But perhaps, you know, another year for him as a co-driver might be better suited. Um, or, you know, he might get a seat elsewhere. Who knows? There's still a few seats going around. But let's just go back and wrap up Sandown, first of all. So, yeah, that was your podium. Uh, McLaughlin ended up finishing ninth, uh, along with Premer. Um, to score enough points to seal up the championship for this year, you know, with a whole round to spare. Their celebration's a bit subdued, you know, as you'd expect, given the circumstances around all that Bathurst hoo-ha that's going around. And, you know, they're going to talk about it long after the season is done. You know, because that didn't strip that win from them at Bathurst, there's going to be people out there calling for blood baying for blood saying you know the year is tarnished or the championship is tarnished because of what the team have done you know what Shelby Power Racing have done I just think it's nothing I just think it's not you know it's not reflective it's not reflective on the year as a whole like when you look back at the first half of the year or certainly before the Enduros McLaughlin had already won 17 races or whatever he had all these pole positions under his belt he was a in a class of his own you know but then again that will be debated oh it's because of the parody stuff that the mustang had an unfair advantage in that sort of thing so do you look back at the whole year and say that the whole year is tarnished i mean what does that say about the sport you know what does that say about supercars in general that they're so caught up in their old ways that um when it comes to something new that everyone is so scared and not really used to it, you know, McLaughlin, a new superstar who's basically, you know, made the sport his own the last couple of years, you know, seeing off guys like Van Gisbergen and Jamie Wincup, you know, the established champions that have been, had a stranglehold on the sport for the last decade or whatever, certainly in Wincup's instance, but and also the Ford Mustang, you know, it's what it's what brought Ford back into the sport. Were we going to face... Imagine if Ford didn't come back to the sport this year, you know. We would have had, you know, the FGX Falcon go out of commission, basically, because it's outdated. Do we go to a one-make formula where everyone races Holden Commodores? Not even Holden Commodores, you know, Opel Insignias. At least with Ford, you've got an identity there, you know, a, a well-renowned international brand with racing in its DNA, whereas Opel, you know, 
Opal, just just Opal, um, being badged as a Holden Commodore. Nothing against Holden, you know. They still do a fantastic job with promoting motorsport here, but you know, just supercars in general should be promoting more of this competition, more allowing manufacturers to have that desire to come into the sport rather than saying oh well you know you've done a better job than everyone so we're going to chop your advantage off and then as far as mclaughlin's years concerned it's it's almost as if yeah everyone's going to turn around and say oh it's been tarnished because you had an unfair advantage in that car totally discounting the fact that he's made light work of his teammate again this year Fabian Coulthard and Coulthard's in the same machinery you look at the Tickford guys they're also racing the same machinery but even when they made all these parity changes before the Pugakoi one McLaughlin was still the best so that's all I have to say in regards to that and now we've got the team's championship on the line heading into Newcastle so 116 points the difference and in favour of Shelby Power Racing so the results there at Newcastle will matter as far as who gets that um, priority in the pit lane you know getting that top garage for next year you know I thought a apt punishment for what happened in Bathurst as far as the um, the race shenanigans were concerned would have been to strip uh, DGR Team Penske Shelby Power Racing of their points tally for the season you know um in the team's championship you know just disqualify them all together don't worry about the driver's championship but yeah team's championship disqualify them from that altogether. but then i said saw saw the points after gold coast and like oh you know maybe 300 points was enough of a penalty to put them back and um give red bull a chance to pass them so I don't know, it's it's a tough one, and you know, because the fact that they've stripped the pole now from them, they took away the 300 points that they won at Bathurst as well, why is the win still on, why is the win still standing, you know, people are going to be discussing and debating that, and I don't know what, in this situation, what to do, you've got people like Roland Dane out there who are just frothing at the mouth for supercars to do something more and say look you know you've got to take the win away from them as well now you've done everything else why not the win you know they didn't technically start from pole position but anyway a thought for another day perhaps but um yeah certainly an interesting one where you know is this going to be dead and buried soon can we get over it i know fans and punters are going to be talking about it for a while but just as far as the penalties and the uh, changing of results is concerned can we just move on now (laughs) <laughs> we've still got another race to go Newcastle in a fortnight's time team's championship at stake minor placings as well I'm sure um, still a bit of silly season stuff to play out too bit of trouble brewing between Techno and Rod Salmon over Team Sydney so they're fighting in a bit of a custody battle there we got Jack Smith confirmed um, is the fourth driver at Brad Jones Racing they're going to be expanding to four cars next year and you know, talking about Tim Slade potentially on the outer with that team and maybe Todd Hazelwood might come in to replace him. Where does Slade go? You know, does he become an endurance driver or finds a home elsewhere? You know, the lot still to play out as far as a silly season is concerned, but I think, you know, once we get the Walkinshaw dominoes in place, I'm sure all the rest will fall as well. So, yeah, we're at that pointy end or crux end of the year now with supercars championship is decided we've got to um really see what happens with this team's championship but um you know it's 
yeah, it's going to be one of those years where I think at the end of it we'll be happy because we're like, well, we don't have to deal with any of this controversy anymore. But at the same time, I think supercars have really got to take a good look at itself and see what it's what's going to happen next year because. You know, it's certainly taken away some of that joy and excitement when you have all this controversy happen. And it's not all, you know, the first half of the year with the parity changes, you can't say that that was Ford cheating or anything. Definitely not. What happened at Bathurst was Bathurst, okay? That is different. But all the parity changes, I mean, most some of it was unwarranted, you know. Let the team go about their business. Rehomologate them at the end of the year you know, rather than doing it at the middle of the year, do it at the end of the year, going into the next season, and then and then see what happens. Because if it goes back to business as usual next year and Triple Eight win every race, then I'm sure no one will complain then. But it's not going to be as exciting a product because at least now we had somebody different winning. <sighs> anyway, um, I think it's almost bedtime for me. <laughs> um. Yeah, anyway, thanks guys for tuning in this week. Um, got a bit of a special one coming for you next week, uh, having a special guest come on. So, you probably, you know, no guesses as to who it is. You'll probably find out anyway. But, um, yeah, going to be fun chatting to this guy um, about something different. And, um, yeah, that'll be part of next week's podcast. And I'll wrap up the Brazilian Grand Prix and also preview Newcastle for you then as well so until then thanks for joining me and um, we'll see you guys next time